Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Pretext, exactly. It's a pretext. A text without a context is a pretext. This is something you learn in seminary or maybe some class that you take. So let's look at the context. And uh, the prior chapter discusses uh, cities of refuge, boundary markers, rules for adjudicating uh, legal testimonies from various categories of people. But there's one sentence about conquering lands. In uh, chapter 19, verse 8, it says, If Adonai, your God, expands your territory and gives you all the land he promised to give to your ancestors. And then it has some conclusion. But interesting that it's in the context of expanding your territories and giving you land. So we do have this context that at least it appears that there's going to be warfare that has to do with taking over the land. The subsequent chapter also talks about adjudicating murders, but it says about them in the land that your God is giving you to possess. So it's not talking about murders just anywhere you happen to be. It's in the land. But it's, again, in the context of the land that you're going to possess. Uh, Later in that chapter, the Parsha changes from Shoftim to the next Parsha, you know, to the next Parsha. And uh, we read about uh, taking women as prisoners and how you treat women as prisoners if you want to marry them and so on. I, I always tell people, I've never violated this Torah problem because I've never, first of all, been in a battle. And if I had been in a battle, I don't know that I would have taken any women prisoners, nor would I have wanted to marry them. But in this case, I haven't broken. One commandment I've definitely not broken. Um, But it says, uh, taking women as prisoners when you go out to war against your enemies. Well, that absolutely cannot have anything to do with acquiring land, the land of promise. Because in our Torah portion, it says when you're going to acquire the land, when you're going to kick out all of your enemies, the, the ites, the uh, uh, Jebusites and all, all of those folks, uh, I call them the Chitim and the Emorim, the Kanaanim, the Perizim, the Chivim and the Yebusim. Or as you normally read it, the Chittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Chivites, and the Jebusites. 
But it says when you go in and kick them out, you are to kill everything that breathes. So you're not supposed to be taking women as captives. So where do you get women captives? And it has to be from some other place. It has to be from those outlying towns. So this section, chapter 20 of Deuteronomy, talks about both types of warfare. Warfare for acquiring land that God has promised and warfare for lands that are not promised to you, but in which you are permitted to take them as forced labor or slaves. They are there to serve you, we read. And it says that you're to kill all the males, but the women you're allowed to keep alive and the children and the, uh, and the animals and so on. Okay, so there's two different types of battle going on. And if you're of a military mind, I, I'm sure there's probably people here that have been in the military. I was not, but probably people who have. Maybe some of you have even fought in battles. Um, but it's uh, very likely that if you have, you would maybe understand that in warfare, there is both strategy and tactics. Strategy and tactics. So what is it that you're strategically trying to do if you're acquiring land? You're strategically making a place to dwell. Most of the time, the United States was not involved in that, although when the nation was first founded, we acquired land from the previous inhabitants, the Native Americans who were living here, and we pretty much did what the Israelites did. We came in and just moved them out or wiped them out or whatever we did. Nevertheless, not that that's, I mean, I'm not trying to gloss over that, but I'm just saying that is part of the strategy that was uh, the founding of our nation and also the founding of the, of the nation of Israel. So, I don't know if any of you who have been in battle ever had your commanding officer come to you and give you a little pep talk before you go out there. Chapter 20 describes the pet talk that the priests and the, and the officers are supposed to give to the people before they go to battle. And it's really unique. I would not have thought of this kind of a pet talk, pep talk. So uh, it tells them to say, the Kohen is supposed to say, Shema Israel. It was in our portion that was read. Shema Israel, hero Israel. You are about to do battle against your enemies. Don't be faint-hearted or afraid. Don't be alarmed or frightened by them. Because Adonai, your God, is going with you to fight on your behalf against your enemies and give you victory. And then the officers come and they start speaking to the soldiers. If there's a man here who has built a new house and has not dedicated it, 
He should go back home now, lest he die fighting and another man dedicate it. Is there any man here who has planted a vineyard but hasn't made use of its fruit? He should go back home lest he die fighting and another man use it. Is there a man here who is engaged to a woman but hasn't married her yet? He should go back home lest he die fighting and another man marry her. And this last one is especially interesting. I thought all of those were interesting, but this one. Is there a man here who is afraid and faint-hearted? He should go back home lest his fear demoralize his comrades also. So in other words, you might go out to fight with a good-sized army and end up with a much smaller army if any of those circumstances exist. You think, well, let's have as many as we can, but here are reasons why you might not want to fight alongside of certain people because they have a lot to lose. So there's categories here. And, uh, and soldiers who could infect other soldiers, creating fear. Uh, only soldiers whose homes have been dedicated, vineyards have already begun to produce, marriages have already been consummated, and who are not afraid. Only these are qualified to fight. We shouldn't fight unless we are prepared to die. Now, this is that kind of battle. I'm not saying that there aren't other kinds of fights and other kinds of battles in which we may not die, but it's interesting the kind of people who are qualified to fight. Now, uh, it's interesting that um, when you go to battle against a town that is not one of the ones that you're going to occupy, the first thing you do is you offer them terms of peace. Terms of peace. And the terms of peace are that they would serve you, that they would become your servants. I, I, I think that's a very gentle way of saying, look, you can either fight us or not. And then something happened. I think the EPA got a hold of the Bible. Well, I mean, what do you think? It says, um, uh, when you are laying siege against the town, you're not to destroy the fruit trees. I mean, here we are. We've come to fight. We're ready to die but don't cut down any fruit trees. This is how the Torah works. I mean, if there's something they want you to, that God wants you to know, he puts it in there, right? I I don't think it's EPA, but um, now the trees that don't produce fruit, you can cut those down and use them in the siege works against your enemies, but don't cut down the fruit trees. What are they men that you should kill them? They're going to give you fruit. Don't cut them down. It's just a very interesting perspective. It's a subtle thing, but here we are talking about warfare and telling them not to chop down trees. Okay. The two strategic lessons then are that sometimes warfare is in order to claim your God-given inheritance. And second, there's a different strategy for towns that are hostile. You're fighting to subdue the people. 
that they may serve you, or so that you may tax them. I mean, this is what Rome did, right? When they went out conquering the whole world, they did it so that they could collect taxes. They weren't trying to, to send Romans out to occupy the whole world. I want to switch gears now and talk about another group of people, the people whom Yeshua calls his own. These instructions don't supersede the ones for Israel. In other words, the Torah came before the new covenant. So we're not counteracting the Torah, but these are specifically for people who belong to Yeshua. Uh, a different strategy and different tactics from 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6. I'm reading from the complete Jewish Bible, David Stern's uh, translation. For although we do live in the world, we do not wage war in a worldly way, because the weapons we use to wage war are not worldly. On the contrary, our weapons have God's power for demolishing strongholds. We demolish arguments and every arrogance that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive and make it obey the Messiah. And when you have become completely obedient, then we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience. So this is a, a, a strategy slightly different. The body of Messiah, what are we trying to do? We're taking dominion. Not of countries, not of towns. We are bringing the kingdom of God into the earth and imposing the will of God on areas that we influence. Maybe imposing is too strong of a word, but we're bringing the will of God to bear in the areas where we are able to be influential. It's not a warfare of inheritance, <clears throat> although in some ways we will eventually inherit the world. We're told that we will be kings and priests when he returns. But that's not what we're doing right now. We're not destroying every living being. We're not fighting to enslave groups of people. This is about advancing the kingdom of God. The text refers to strongholds, arguments, arrogance, thoughts, obedience, and punishment. As a community, these are the enemies of our domain in the kingdom of God. Strongholds arrogance, arguments, etc. So let's just take a look for a moment. Is there an area of your city or your community that seems to breed crime, violence, hatred, poverty, despair? If you believed that God was calling you and your congregation to influence your community for his kingdom, and that's our congregation, how would you go about doing that? Last week, I had a chance to chat with Sherry Moore, the other Sherry Moore. And uh, 
she used to work with a man named George Otis. I didn't know it until I brought up his name and she said, yes, I used to work with him. George Otis put out a video called Transformation, which actually goes right along with the things that we're sharing. So I just wanted to share a little tiny piece of it. He had a strategy of transforming cities for the kingdom of God. In his strategy, there would be a leader, uh, maybe a pastor or some other leader, someone who would stake his life on making the changes needed. One of the leaders found out that he couldn't be successful until he told his wife, we're buying a cemetery plot in this town because we're staying here. We're putting everything we have into it. There would be a group of researchers who would identify spiritual as well as carnal influences that have affected the city in times past up to the present time. So if it were Richmond, you'd probably have research into slave auctions and Civil War type things. Uh, there would be tobacco. There would be addictions related to that. I mean, there would be things that you would research and find what went on and how it went on and what the history is. Um, there would be intercessory people, people who are praying. They would use the, the results of the research to pray concerning how to oppose the influence of those disobedient spirits that are causing the people of the communities to resist the influence of the kingdom of God in the community. So that would involve disobedient spirits that are causing people to be involved in alcohol, uh, pornography, sexual addiction, but also oppression uh, and wrongful uh, capitalistic enterprises, you know, that are taking advantage of people's weaknesses and so on. In his video, he had many good testimonies of places like uh, Cabo, Colombia and Hemet, California. Uh, they were demolishing strongholds. They were seeing that happen. They were demolishing arguments and arrogance, raising uh, them up against those things that are raised up against the knowledge of God. They changed the way of thinking of people. They took thoughts captive to the obedience of the Messiah until they were prepared to punish acts of disobedience, and they saw real change taking place. So this is an example of community warfare in the kingdom of God. As a Messianic Jewish congregation, we seek to influence the community around us, especially the Jewish community, but the whole community. And there may be some wisdom in the tactics of George Otis and in this scripture from 2 Corinthians. Who is called to battle in this domain? Well, Jews who believe in Yeshua, Gentiles who have a proven calling to the Jewish people. I believe this includes all Christians from all the churches in the community. And now I want to give my halfway through my talk commercial. You know, it's like an intermission. You could leave if you want to. It's an intermission. You can stand up if you want to. This is my commercial. Actually, I do this commercial whenever I conduct a 
Passover Seder demonstration for churches. They like to hear about the roots of the Lord's Supper and the, and the Passover. But I tell them, I said, when Yeshua came to Jerusalem, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, you who stone those who are sent to you, how often I wanted to gather your children just as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings. But you refused. Look, God is abandoning your house to you, leaving it desolate. For I tell you from now on, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai. Baruch B'Shem Adonai. And whenever I speak in these churches, I tell them that even if I were to teach them how to go, <laughs> so that they could say, Baruch, of course, I'd also have to tell them how to swallow their R's because the R's are tricky as well. Baruch, Baruch, Baruch Abab Hashem Adonai. But I said, even if you learned how to do that and and every Christian all over the world just lined up and shouted out, even so, come Yeshua. He wouldn't come. Because he was talking to Jerusalem. What will cause the people of Jerusalem and the leaders of Israel to welcome Yeshua back into the earth? It's the love. Christians embracing Jews in love, proclaiming peace, offering to provide whatever is needed, able to say, if there's anything we have that you need, it's yours. Able to say that if there's anyone who is coming to get you, they have to come through us and then mean it and do it. The hearts, their hearts would melt because they're not used to this. Jewish people are accustomed to being persecuted and hated everywhere we go. So how can Christians bring Yeshua back? Love the Jews. Okay, end of commercial. Finally, there is one further dimension of warfare that we should discuss, and every one of us is required to fight these battles. What does it mean that we are being sanctified? Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, What I am saying is this, run your lives by the Spirit. Then you will not do what your old nature wants. For the old nature wants what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit wants what is contrary to the old nature. These oppose each other so that you find yourselves unable to carry out your good intention. Anybody ever heard of this battle? I've never had to struggle like this. No, I'm, every one of us has had this struggle at one time or another. Philippians 2 says, so... My dear friends, and by the way, Philippians 2, this section of Scripture is immediately after the one that we sometimes read in the Elenu, that he humbled himself, even though he was equal to God, he humbled himself and became a man. I sometimes tell Jews who don't know Yeshua, I say, look, 
You believe in a Messiah. I believe in a Messiah. Who are you to tell God that he can't come in a, as a baby? Who are you to tell God that he can't come as a baby? If he wants to come as a baby, I'm not going to tell him no. But this is the scripture immediately after that in Philippians 2. So my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed when I was with you, it is even more important that you obey now when I am away from you. Keep working out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God is the one working among you, both willing and working for what pleases him. Do everything without fetching or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God without defect in the midst of a twisted and perverted generation. Of course, this was written almost 2,000 years ago, so it's not like that now. We don't live in the midst of a twisted and perverted generation, do we? And that wasn't a joke. It just wasn't true. Among whom you shine like stars in the sky as you hold on to the word of life. That's what we're supposed to do is shine. That's how do you shine? One of the most difficult enemies to overcome in our personal lives is our desire for physical pleasure. This can come in many forms. It could be sexual. It can be dietary, eating what you like to eat instead of what you should eat. Uh, mobility, comfort, freedom from pain. These are all things that we desire. We also desire emotional pleasure, which can take the form of acceptance, financial security, lifestyle, social status, power. There's probably others. You can probably think of more. These are selfish desires that we believe we have a right to fulfill. And we are capable of deceiving ourselves to think that it's not only okay, but it's our right to satisfy our desires. There are also physiological changes that occur when we satisfy a desire. There are hormones that are released that are experienced that are experienced as pleasure. You finally bought the car or the house you wanted. How does that make you feel? That's what, the, that's what they always say when they're interviewing the people who just won the Super Bowl or just had this happen or that happen. How did that make you feel? Or you just ate your favorite meal, roast beef, potatoes, carrots, gravy. How does that make you feel? It's, I think it's dopamine. I think it's called dopamine. You experience sexual release. You reached a financial goal. You were elected to an office in your community. Perhaps you had a couple of glasses of wine, and now you feel great. A person can become addicted to that feeling. It can lead a person to be deceived into thinking that this is what life is all about. You can even be addicted to the feeling of righteousness that comes when you abstain from pursuing 
and meeting your desires. Whoa. You know, the self-flagellation thing. I'm a good person because I didn't do that. Oh, I feel much better now. I'm a good person. So that's the state that Paul found himself in in Romans 7. The things that I don't want to do, those are the things I do. The things that I want to do, I don't do. What was it that set him free? Romans 8.2, the law of the Spirit, which produces life in union with Messiah Yeshua, has set me free from the law of sin and death. The Spirit that produces life in union with Messiah Yeshua. And in verse 13 of the same chapter, for if you live according to your old nature, you will certainly die. But if by the Spirit you keep putting to death the practices of the body, you will live. But it's not about what you do. It's about who you're with. It's about Messiah Yeshua. It's the, if the same Spirit that raised Yeshua from the dead dwells in you, He will quicken your mortal body by the same Spirit that raised Him from the dead. Your testimony is at stake. Your relationships are at stake. Your very life is at stake. And that's why every one of us fights this battle and accomplishes, has victories along the way. But one victory doesn't take the place of the next one. It's always something you're working on. Are you willing to endure hardship? Are you willing to endure pain and grief? In order to discipline yourself to remain in union with Messiah, with Messiah Yeshua. Pain is God's gift to bring us correction. Now, I am always praying to have the pain taken away, but I, make an always, I always make a caveat. God, if it be your will, take away this pain. Nevertheless, to the extent that you allow me to experience it, let me learn what I need to learn from this pain. If we avoid the pain, if we deaden the pain, we prevent the correction that produces fruit. God's correction. Francis Frangipan, by the way, I've got this much left. Francis Frangipan once wrote a book about the three battlefields, the devil, the world, and the flesh. We've talked about the world and the flesh. Do we need to be afraid of Satan? Absolutely not. Why don't we need to be afraid of Satan? Because all power under heaven and earth is given to Yeshua the Messiah. So Satan can only operate where Yeshua gives him an opening to operate. And if he's operating somewhere else, we can cast him down. Of course, Yeshua said, don't rejoice that you're able to command the spirits, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven in the book of life. Satan can only do what Yeshua allows him to do. And as with the case of Job, Satan tests the good works that God is doing among his people. If we are being tested, it's not that we fail. It is rather that the testing of our faith would produce a genuineness that is more precious than gold 
that perishes. Read 1 Peter 1. We've talked uh, about these things, and we should learn that the strategy that Yeshua shows us for our for our where, warfare, our warfare. Now, I was going to say welfare, and it's not right. The strategy that Yeshua shows us for our warfare is that Messiah Yeshua should be with us. Fortunately, there are fivefold gifted ministries that provide strategy and equipping. And we have one more thing. We have received the great gift that all the prophets have sought since the world began. The Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Cling to that. May we remain in the Spirit and keep up the good fight until we prevail and we say amen.